You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire us, but never limit us. Yeah, we talk about surfing, religion, stand-up comedy, hummus, pogo balls, and absolutely nothing important at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Where do you get your glasses? You're, you need your glasses all the time, don't you? No, I need them. I just actually found out that I don't need them like that. I thought I did. My, my person told me like, oh, you need to have your glasses on all the time at one, like a ways back. And then I, <clears throat> I went to visit her and she was like, you need to stop wearing your glasses while you're reading and when things are close because it's distance. And I was like, oh, I was like, you totally told me to wear them all the time. And she goes, no, no, no. You don't wear them all the time anymore. And I was like, why did you tell me that? And she was like, your body's changed. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I guess your body can change over time. So she said like, and I've no, actually noticed because what I said was. That, that was the first time do... you found out your body changed over time? <clears throat> no, that wasn't quite that. It's like, I thought like, I you know, have my to, eyes, I my have eyes. To roll, roll my ball sack on a spool every time <laughs> I take my pants on and off. That'll definitely, that is definitely a change. There's no doubt about that. The, um. No. So I, what I thought was also like, there was no, she was checking my eyes, no change in my lenses. You know what I mean? It wasn't like anything like that changed. And she was like, no. Cause what I told her was I was, I was, there were times that I felt like I didn't want to have them on, but I wasn't really paying that much attention. And I kept, I kept saying, I didn't want to take them off when I was doing circumcisions. Cause I was afraid I was going to scare everybody. <laughs> Cause all of a sudden I took my glasses off and they were going to be like, holy moly. Uh, can you see anymore? And she said, and then she did this little test with me. She had like, you know, you, they, they put that thing in front of your eyes. It's like you're wearing glasses, but you look like the cover of Justin Timberlake's album. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they flip all the things and they're, you know, the 2020 vision one. Anyway, so it's on and she goes, here, look at this in front of you. And, and I held something in my hand and she said, is it clear? And I was like, no. She goes, pull it back. Keep pulling it back. When is it clear? And I blinked and it was like a mile away from me. And she goes, I said, it's clear now. And she goes, now see, now take off your glasses. And she took them off. And I was like, oh yeah, it's clear right here. She goes, you're much better not having them on when you're close up. Do you wear yours all the time? No, mine are basically for reading, but I need them at the desk too. Cause like I have like the, have we talked about this? I feel like I talked to everybody about this who has glasses now. I don't know. I need to find the right ones where it's like, cause I have people, I have a big office and a lounge. And then my, my desk is next to the lounge area. So people right. will often be sitting in the lounge and I'll be at the desk um, chatting with them. So I need to see them. I need to see my computer and I need to see like a book or the, or something I'm reading on, no. on the table. So I can't just pick up like, these are just a standard 1.0 and I can't really see people. They're all blurry if they're in the office, but um, oh my gosh, I got progressives and they were super expensive and they just made, gave me a headache for two weeks. I was like, I'm not going to have this. So I need to figure it out. I went to a, I went to an ortho, uh, whatever they're called. Optometrist. Uh, is that what it is? Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I went to one of those people's and uh, I mean, she just, she said, just go to CVS if you want and get a pair of readers, but then I can't see the computer on those. So I hope you ended up like my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law. Point of this. My life is very, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to hear that i uh yeah we did you hear the sad trombone could you hear that i did of course i could are you kidding me it's like so sad um i just hope you don't end up my my mother-in-law my mother-in-law has reading glasses and i like, hope i don't wind up to be your mother-in-law either <laughs> she loses strange. them everywhere every two seconds she's like She's got about 50 pairs of them because she's like, I don't know where the other one went. And she just has like all these pairs around because she loses them. She puts them down. She doesn't know where they are. All right. So what are yours? Are yours just the standard, the whole glasses are the same prescription? Yeah. 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 I don't have like bifocals or anything like that. Okay. She said someday she's like, it's coming, but, and then that's going to be much more expensive. So better that you just take off your glasses when you have to read something close. And I was like, fine. So that's what I do. But like, I can't stand for long without my glasses for the distance because it, that gives me a headache. It's so blurry. It's not good. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into, you said you wanted to uh, make fun of Judaism a bit today. Tell you. How. I did. I did. Well, I always want to make fun of Judaism. It's easy. 
It's like a, it's like it's too easy, isn't it? I don't know. I feel like it's been no. done. Has it been done before? I feel like it's been done before. I, mean, it- I feel like every it's funny because Judaism is one where every Jewish comic has some criticism for Judaism. I mean, even like, it, yeah, there's non sequiturs and no real transition into it. They'll just suddenly make fun of Judaism. And I you tell like people you wouldn't necessarily know are probably right. Jews. You know, you might recognize some features, but there's right. not like a, you know, you, you like like Seth Rogen. You don't he you you're, you don't hear him going to temple or he's not wearing his kippah every every day. No, but yeah, he like, but he's out there with that. He's like, you know, Adam Sandler, I think was like the first one to sort of, I mean, not the first one, but I feel like in the main mainstream, he was the first one to sort of be very open about his Judaism in ways. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and what was interesting was, I don't know if you know this, Seth Rogen had a movie that came out a couple, I think it's like two years ago now. It was about, it was about he, like his grandfather got preserved, per- preserved in pickle brine. Did you see this thing? It was on HBO. Yeah. And then I, I didn't he, watch it. Yeah. So he, what he did was he did this like real bait and switch. I was, I heard this whole thing come out on somebody else's podcast, <clears throat> another comedian's podcast. And Seth Rogen was going off and just being horrible about Judaism in Israel. Like, I mean, and everybody goes like all in an uproar. How could he say these things? He went to Jewish overnight camp. And then the whole point was to get the liberal, like to get the people who he wouldn't normally be watching this movie to watch this movie. And he wasn't even like, it was all a bit, I think, to just kind of get people to watch this movie. Because the movie itself was very much talking about how we in the modern age aren't respecting our elders and respecting our past. And so he he like did the whole thing just to get to people to watch it, which was, I was like, that was impressive. Anyway, what do I want to make fun of Judaism about today? Um, specifically I, today specifically we, there's, there's, well let's put it this way judaism the joke of, of the day judaism joke of the day the the day of atonement was only just you know in our rear view mirror by only a couple meters and now all of a sudden i'm uh, i'm gonna make fun of judaism yeah no, which, so which tone did you atone was it a d uh i was it was a d flat d sharp d sharp oh you did d flat huh i think so i think so oh, that took <laughs> so the um so what i was happening was so last couple of weeks. I mean, we're still like in the tail end of our high holidays, right? We're in like the Super Bowl of Judaism. And you have low it, holidays too. We do not have low holidays. We only have high holidays. I'm sorry. Why don't you just call them holidays. Uh, because all, we have a lot, we have a holiday every week. We have Shabbat, right? Shabbat Saturday, the day of rest is a holiday every week. That's not a high holiday. That's just a holiday. Oh, you don't and, get high on Saturdays. Got it. No, we don't get high on, on Saturdays. And then, um, on those, these are like the big ones. They're like the Super Bowl of, of Judaism. Um, and during it, we have, you know, during the Rosh Hashanah service, there was a, there's a whole thing that happens, which I thought was completely fascinating. And I wanted to know, one, if you had something like this in your tradition, first and foremost, and if you think that there's a, even a place for it, because I, I was a little, wasn't put off by it, but interesting. I'll tell you what it was. So uh, for those who go to high holiday services, some might actually know about this. We have uh, a couple different services that we do during the day. And before one of them, um, the person who's going to be the prayer leader gets up and reads this entire page long prayer. And I'll just give you an excerpt from it. But basically oh, what it thanks. says is, here I stand empty of deeds in turmoil, fearing the one who sits enthroned in praise of Israel, blah, 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 blah. Optimistic. And he says, That's good. So it's, it's big. And he says, accept my prayer, even though I'm not worthy and I'm not a good person. Like it basically goes and just this complete self-deprecation of the of the person who's going to lead. And what happens is when he when he does this part where he's being self self deprecating, he doesn't say that part out loud, but he says it to himself. But everybody's reading along and and can see that that's what he's saying right now. Um, I just found it very interesting. I thought to myself, like, is there a place in in in, in religion at all, or should there be a place in religion at all? for self-deprecation, especially in a public forum. You know what I mean? Like, should you be getting up in front of everyone else and be doing the Wayne's world, I'm not worthy kind of a thing? Um, do, is there anything like that in, in, in your tradition and any of your prayer services? Do you talk about things like that? Hmm. I mean, we pray for guidance, support. Uh-huh. I don't know if we like... So, I, I mean, I think the Psalms are super heavy in self-deprecation, though. Like, David's constantly... Right. Like, bludgeoning himself and he's like 
calls himself the worm of the earth. True. Um, but you're saying specifically about religion, not scripture. Yeah, I mean, well, religion, scripture is part of religion, but but I feel like what I what I also thought of when when this was coming up was I was thinking of uh, the monks in you know Monty Python's The Holy Grail. You know how they walk along and they're they're doing these oh, yeah. dirges and then smacking themselves in the head. Yeah, and I was like, wow, like is is, is there any benefit to this? Like, why would one do this? And, you know, should we do this? It was just a whole big question mark for me. And, and I do think, listen, I think the Psalms, just to go back to that for a second, the Psalms themselves, because we actually have um, an order where, we're, we, where people are doing the Psalms, um, I think they do multiple a day and they might do them, like they try to get through, I think they try to get through the whole book of Psalms in a month. I think that's what it is. And there's like, it's listed out, like which ones you're supposed to be doing each day. But I think that that's completely, that stuff that David did, I think is wholly beneficial because first of all, look who David was, right? He was one of the greatest leaders sure. ever to live. And for him to be self-deprecating, it gives you that opening, right? It gives you that ability to say, it's okay that I sometimes feel like this, right? I think that's extremely powerful. Um, but to stand in front of the whole congregation and say like, you know, I, I am just this vessel that's not up to par it just felt really i don't know i mean in that regard uh i, I think it's less like uh i don't know it's not as like being uh, it's not like being depressed and miserable in front of people it's i think i get up i get up often and i do seriously say hey i, I we tried this it didn't go well or you know i shot for this idea and didn't work um so we're going to try something else but I think in our, in this ch church, particularly, um, as long as I'm authentic and growing from what I'm doing, I think, you know, sometimes I do publicly say, you know, here's what we were doing and here's why it didn't work. And here's what we're going to learn and grow from. So I think that's worth it. Um, but I don't get up and be like, Oh, I'm the worst. I know. And that's honestly, I, I skipped over the best part of this. It actually says, I'm a sinner. I do wrong. Do not let them, meaning everyone who I'm praying on behalf of, be disgraced by my sins. Let them not be ashamed of me, nor me of them. And, and like, I love what you were saying. I love that you were saying um, there are times where we can all learn and grow from mistakes or, you know, missteps or, you know, whatever it be, you know, like things that didn't work out. I think that's extremely valuable. I can remember that when I was, when I was, Oh, how long ago was this? But right before I started studying to be a rabbi, I got up to, to read Torah, right? Which is what we do on Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And when we get up to read Torah, right? When you're reading from this book, it's two scroll. There's like a big scroll. Um, there are no vowels and there are no markings to tell you how to sing all the stuff that's there. And I botched it. I mean, when I tell you that I botched <laughs> it, I, I did such a bad job. I messed up royally. And this woman was like, she goes, thank you so much. And I said, thank you. I was like, I just bombed. What are you talking about? And she goes, no, you just gave me permission. Cause I know that you're going to study to be a rabbi. You gave me permission to be able to do that one day. And I didn't think I could do it. And now seeing that you stink too, basically, that I'm going to be able bar. to do it. Yep. I lowered the bar big time. And, and I think there's something to that. I think it's valuable, but, but I just, I mean, I don't know. It, it's still, it's still something that I felt was so personal. Uh, I mean, it's, of course, it's very, what's it like concretized to have it like you're, you're just reading what somebody else wrote, but but really to get up in front of people and say, I'm a sinner and I'm, and I'm horrible. Like, wow, that's powerful. I mean, I think so in the Christian, at least the Lutheran Christ, Christian Lutheran religion, um, part of understanding that we're sinners and we'll never be perfect is like the, one of the core core four that you have to kind mm. of acknowledge and admit about yourself is this idea that there's nothing we can do to be perfect, that right. there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven on our own. And, believing that Jesus did that work for us. So everything we do is just a response in gra a grateful response to what Jesus did for us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we do, I mean, we don't grovel in it, but we do say, you know, we're sinners. Uh, Paul said it, he wrote a letter, 
in uh, First Timothy, uh, he says something like, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Hmm. And it's kind of this great, you're like, if you're the worst, right? Like, uh, kind of like that lady, like, if you're the worst, I think I could do this too. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt that I'm at least as bad as you are, right? <laughs> the idea is like, we have to, we have to find complete reliance on, on God for all of the, you know, the holy stuff where there's wow. nothing we can do in that realm. And so acknowledging it, we get help to change and to grow that kind of thing. So that, that, you know, all our help comes from God. I heard, I heard somebody teaching last week. Then she said um, that the, that, that like, it's similar to what you're saying in that sinning mistakes, um, not being perfect. um, She said, it's exactly, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Like this is part of the human condition, right? We will, ne- like you said, we'll never be perfect. And she said, so even though you might sit here on the day of atonement and be ba- banging on your chest, which is what we do to say, like, I've sinned and I've sinned and I, you know, and, and even though you're doing all that and it feels like you might want to fall into this despair, remember that this is built into the whole system. This is exactly what humans are supposed to be. We are supposed to be people that err um, and that try to do better next time. Uh, you know, and, and um, one of the major teachers in Judaism, his name is the Rambam. And everyone sang that. It was such a hit in the, in the early 1400s. So he, he, um, he had this whole thing about you know, the sinning that we do, um, how do we know that we've actually done better is that when you get to that same spot, uh, again, you, you end up in the same situation and then you don't do it again. Right. And that's how, you know, you've done better. And I think there's something to be said for that, but there's also something to be said that I've come into those situations and done the same mistake over again. You know what I mean? It's, um, it does, it doesn't always get better so easily. That's how we know you're the worst sinner between the two of us. Yes, I win. I am the wiener. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's a great, it's a great uh, lesson from therapy for sure. Like in therapy, you talk about um, the, essentially the difference in change, right? Like mm-hmm. just because you go to therapy doesn't mean you never get short tempered again. It just means that the time it takes between when you mess up and get a short temper and you recognize it wasn't right is shorter and then you mess up again and the time gets shorter and shorter like if it's two days after you get short-tempered then the next time it happens and as you're entering into therapy and learning you it's one day after you get short-tempered you recognize and then it's a half day and then it's an hour and then it's 10 minutes and then it's in the moment so you're recognizing in the moment of the opportunity of gosh i'm short-tempered and i shouldn't be doing this right now Mm -hmm. to the point where you can adjust live um, and be like fully present. I think it kind of relates because, you know, the whole idea of being a, the worst sinner, at least if you know that, you know, there's an opportunity. Whereas if you're, if you're totally oblivious and you're not, you know, you're not aware that you're a sinner, you think you're perfect. You think you're doing everything well, cause you're checking the religious boxes. I go to Shabbat. I don't eat this on Friday. I follow these laws. I must be great, but you're an asshole at work. Mm-hmm. You're not kind to your wife, you're, um, you know, you're not raising your children up in a, in, in religious values, those kind of things, but you're like, I did all the religious stuff. So I'm fine. If you're not recognizing it, there is no opportunity to grow. So there's a fine balance, I guess. And a, an opportunity, I guess, to let, let that idea of being a sinner or being, you know, self-deprecating inspire you to grow, not put you down into a deep spiraling depression on the <laughs> Yeah, that would, that we wouldn't want that. That's for sure. One of the things that I think I see in my community that, that thankfully I don't see it a lot, but it does come up often that there are people who, you know, keep every letter of the law, let's say that like, they're always going to synagogue, you know, they would never eat pork, you know, and never mix meat and milk, all those things. And then they're like horribly tax evasion, you know, they're evading taxes, they're cheating on the wife. I don't know, cheating on the wife is probably not a good example, but, but something where it's not really mentioned in the Jewish 
you know, canon, you know what I mean? Don't evade taxes. So they, they don't feel like they need to avoid that. And it's like, and, and they, I, 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 I guess evade taxes, <laughs> thou shall not evade taxes, but they, but they, there's like this mentality of, I do all the things that I need to do. Like I, I pray three times a day. I do those things. And therefore I don't have to worry about the other stuff. And, and there are those of uh, those colleagues that I know actually who, who, uh, who I'm actually in contact with on a regular basis who are like, no, really, like if you're missing that other part of it, obviously we would all say that you're not doing the right thing, but it just gives you like this false sense of, it might even be almost like haughtiness that like, I'm really a, a good Jew. So, so what does it matter that I mess all this other stuff up? And, and it's like, yeah, okay. There's some things that weren't actually mentioned that you needed, you know, that you didn't need to do, or you shouldn't be doing, but that, I mean, you can figure that out on your own. I think maybe that's why it wasn't mentioned, right? Cause you can figure this out on your own. And so, you know, you're not a good person. If you do those things, you're actually a very bad person. Sure. Um, yeah, that's the challenge, though, is everyone thinks that there's like apply common sense to to these rules when everybody's sort of opinion of common sense is more diverse than we ever thought. Right. And also that this is only the starting point, right? The religious, you know, dictums that we have, those that's the starting point, right? That's it's not meant to be the end point. It's meant to actually take you to be on this higher level of a better person and then being able to sort of discern these things for yourself. You don't need everything to be laid out at that point. You should be able to sort of go, okay, I see where all this, the direction all this is pointing in. And yeah, I probably shouldn't cheat this old woman out of her inheritance, <laughs> even though it doesn't directly say that, you know what I mean? Like you're supposed to understand. Yeah. I don't know. These are things that uh, that we struggle with at times that people, you know, they, they feel like, oh, I guess that stuff about giving charity is important, but I don't have to make it a main focus of what I do. And, and then it's like there. It, but we have we have the swings in both sides. Right. We have people who keep all the letter of the, the law when it comes to, like I said, going to synagogue three times. A day, and then they're not so good about like doing acts of kindness, let's say. And then on the other, on the flip side, there are people who in the liberal movements who, and I'm being very, I know I'm generalizing horribly, don't write letters, but in the liberal movements who are ex, much better at, than, uh, than those in the, in the traditional movements who are doing all sorts of, you know, acts of loving kindness and cleaning up the environment and doing all these things that we stink at, but then they're not keeping the other things. They're not, they're not praying three times a day. So like, there's gotta, I'm just, I want to find a middle ground. You know what I mean? That's what I want to find. Yeah, I mean, we're digging more into the law and less into self-deprecating at this point. Correct. Um, but so when you said, let's talk about you know the appropriateness of of self-deprecation in religion. For some reason, my mind went to like humor, like making fun of or poking jokes at religion. And so I pulled a couple things. Oh, uh, this, is, this is a seminary class I took called "The Prostitute in the Family Tree." Okay, let's hear this. It's a book by Doug Adams. He's deceased since, um, but it's so unbelievably funny, but it's about the inerrant humor in mostly scriptures. um, But the prostitute in the family tree is a reference to uh, the lineage of Jesus. And in the lineage of Jesus, I think it's, is it Hagar? That's a prostitute? Is that it? Or Rahab? Yeah, that one. I'll tell you why. Rahab, like in Hebrew, I'll give you the Hebrew on this because you'll love it. Oh, Rahav, right? A Rahov, a Rahov is a road. Go up when you give the Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's gonna, but you'll love this. I'm telling you because it's within the humor belt. That so Rahav, uh, Rahov is a road. Okay, Rahav means wide. So that's actually what they called her. They called her wide, the prostitute. Okay. That was her name. And that is like, I think you know where I'm going here. So that, no, so it was just, it's one of those things where throughout text, your name has to do with who you are as a person. And hers was as being a prostitute that she was a little wide, if you will. Oh, got it. Got it. Well, anyway, so the joke, the joke or the, the funny part is in, uh, I think it's in Matthew, they go, they walk through the lineage of Jesus to start off this, the, uh, the gospel of Matthew. Mm. And it says, and this, and it, it basically goes, this man begat this man, begat this man, begat this man, begat this man, begat Rahab, begat this man, begin, begat this man. <laughs> so like you go through this whole lineage and it's sort of this who's who of, you know, some of it is like really big names like David, right? Like people that we know the story of 
some of it is like all these weird names that we don't even oh, yeah. know. Some of it is like awful people who are just terrible kings or ruthless um, murderers. Mm-hmm. It goes to the whole family tree and you sort of walk through it jokingly about the characters and you, you make snide comments about each one. Um, and then there's this prostitute Rahab. So he stops as he's reading Matthew and he talks about the, this prostitute in Jesus lineage and how that's how, like, that's what God chose. It's, so it's like joking that, you know, God chose for Jesus to be the d- direct descendant of a prostitute in some way. There you go. There you go. Um, so, well, I mean, everyone, there are those big question marks about, you know, some people wonder his mother, like, could it have been that she maybe had an extramarital affair? I don't want to go there. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, you know, but some yep. people wonder how that happened. Go ahead. Yep. Yep. There's always that question. <laughs> See, that's the, those are the jokes. That's, that's what I, that's where I thought you were going with self oh. <laughs> deprecating was like asking those like sort of people, oh, no, call, we, people call them heretical, but it's just like, yeah, who had, like, if you haven't thought that you're so indoctrinated Yep. to just, I, be, I believe whatever you say. Oh, yep. She oh, and yep, yep. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I, I mean, the, the way I define the book of Genesis is like, yeah, but don't be like them. <laughs> that's, that's basically the way, like, that's, sure. it's a whole book of like how not to be with your family, like all those things that you could possibly do. So yeah, of course, go ahead. More self, self-deprecation, please. Yeah. Then that's one of my favorite things to do is to get up and, and say, you don't think you're good enough to serve God. Let me tell you about the people who served God. <laughs> you just go through, you go through all like the that. leaders and that you're they like, didn't just serve. they Moses made the stuttered. book. David murdered. <laughs> uh, Job ran from God, right? Those sort of, oh Job cursed God. And uh, you just go through like all the problems and major things people did. And one guy is like, oh, I'm too lazy. And you're like, are you kidding? You would have been a hero in the Bible if you were born 3000 years ago. <laughs> lazy. That's like your best characteristic if you want to, yeah, you know, exactly. Wow. Well, that's what I thought you were talking about. Cause there is a fine oh. line for people. Like there's people who say, you know, you can't question anything and there's kind of the golden cows that are untouchable. Right. Like, like you said, the virgin birth is one of them, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I mean, if it's humor and it's not putting, putting it down, it's just sort of questioning it and making commentary about it. I don't think it's a terrible thing to really. No, I agree. I don't, I think it's actually, um, very necessary. One of the, the many, many years ago, I was studying at a, uh, like a conference and they brought, um, uh, a text. The text that they brought was actually from a, a newspaper from like the 1930s where somebody had been writing what we call Midrashim. Midrashim are, um, extra exegesical text type teachings, right? So the rabbis taught all these stories that sort of fill in the gaps to what the Torah is missing, Right. And one of them was this whole text about how um, Hagar, who we already brought up, um, and it was like a it was like a whole story about how she was getting thrown out by Abraham and how she felt when she was being thrown out, mm-hmm. and and this caused a rabbi, a major rabbi in the city in the 1930s, I think in Poland, to to write a response in the newspaper saying how disgusting it was that this person wrote this this attempted story to talk about how she felt. And, and, and all the people who were there were like, oh, yeah, that's horrible. How could that person have written that story from her perspective? And I raised my hand and I said, that was one of the best midrashim I've ever heard. I was like, <laughs> I was like, why wouldn't you be thinking what she was thinking? I mean, she did everything right. She had a, a, a child for Abraham, right? And it was, you know, it, it's Ishmael, right? Or I don't know how you say that in English anymore. Ismail. Um, and so the, he, you know, he ends up being the, the father of the Muslim line. And I was like, and he's, she's just getting thrown out with like a bag of water and then like uh, good luck. And I mean, it, desert is a death sentence. You know what I mean? They're, they, they were probably not going to survive. Why wouldn't you be thinking how she felt at that moment? I mean, that's exactly what you should be thinking. So I, I I'm, I'm a big fan of, of being critical of the text in that way and really thinking about how the characters are feeling at those moments and, and saying, if you, you see something that, sh- which doesn't make sense or shouldn't be, or, or you, you have a problem with don't, you don't put these people up on this pedestal of like sainthood. You say this, no, what, 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 yeah, what ja- Jacob just did was wrong. That was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. Well, and isn't the Bible meant to be an underdog story that's not filled with like heroes and conquerors and Roman empires. It's filled with, you know, shepherds and oppressed folks and people in small towns who became prophets and uh, speakers for the people of Israel, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I think that, 
I think that the book itself, when read in its own right, um, definitely leads you to understand that that any one person, no matter like we were talking about, no matter how you know small you might feel and how in in you know um, irrelevant and not you know worthy of being in God's presence, the book is there to teach you that no, it doesn't matter that you feel that way. Even the people who are the most um, downtrodden can be someone who serves God. And that's a powerful, that's a very powerful message. The problem is that in Judaism, these extra um, stories try to take those, those underdog characters and make them seem greater than, than life. And then people get mixed up and they think that those stories that the rabbis told, because they love those characters so much, is the actual story that was in the Torah. And that's not the case. You have to read the, the book first. You have to read the Torah and see those characters as they were. And then those stories, those extra stories, become even more interesting. But they're, they're an attempt to say, wow, look at how great we think those people were because they were the forefathers and foremothers of our of our tradition but but the text itself doesn't talk about them that way it's not like that well but you guys read way more especially in your services read read way more from the torah than we ever do if we read more than 10 verses in a scripture in public worship people get ornery they're like come on do we need to hear all this (laughs) every time i've been to the temple it's, it's I'm like, oh my gosh, are they still reading? And I, I mean, probably because I don't understand it either. But. <laughs> no, it definitely doesn't help. It's very much, it is harder when you don't understand it. But no, so what we do, I'll tell you, we go through the entire Torah uh, every year in one, one whole cycle. And the truth is, I think, Ralph, when you came with me, if you're talking about when you came with me, I was going to, there are, there are some tradition, there's some segments of Judaism that only read a third of the Torah every year. And I'm pretty sure you were there when they were only reading a third of the Torah. So well, that and was the short version. That was the short version. It, where you go to, where I go to now, they read, if you look at the Torah, I mean, they read like, I don't know, it's four columns, generally speaking, four columns in a Torah is like, I don't know, it's chapter wise in the book. It's like five, it can be like five chapters, depends on how long they are, but it's like you're reading five chapters. And then they read something from the later texts of the, of the, of the, of the, of the Bible, right? There's like all the Torah that you read for that Shabbat. And then there's like, oh, by the way, we're going to now read from the, from the prophets for a little while. And it's like, that's a lot of people fall asleep. It's true. It happens. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, people fall asleep here and it's less and I try and yell and scream at them too. All right, here we go. Ready. Reasons why you should be in the Bible. Okay. Here are some of the people in the Bible. Moses, he stuttered. Jacob deceived his father. Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. lied. Cain murdered. Noah was a drunk. David hid from God. The prophets doubted themselves. Peter doubted. Saul murdered Christians. Heck, Mm. God even spoke through a donkey. That's one of my favorite stories, by the way. I love that story. It's so good. Because even even better than that is that the person who's on the back of the donkey when the donkey speaks is like not getting it. And like the donkey is getting it better than he is. It's my favorite. I love that story. And yes, God did speak through a donkey. And uh, if God can speak through an ass, then I can. Well, there you go. I think Um, if Jim Carrey can do it, God can definitely do it. Do you think that was the inspiration for the donkey in Shrek? Definitely. Are you kidding me? I always went before Shrek came out. I always heard Eddie Murphy's voice in my, in my head. <laughs> I was reading that part of the Torah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to Google that. What was the name of the don- or ball? Wasn't it Baal? B-A-A-L? Oh no. So who, what's the donkey's name? Donkey doesn't have a name. He's called an atone, but um, the story that it's coming from is coming from the story of Balaam and Balak. Balaam, that's it. Baal's yeah. Bilam or Balaam, whatever we call it. I don't know what you, how you say it in English so well these days, but yes, that is the story. And um, Balaam is like on the back of the donkey and the donkey is trying to turn out of the way because he sees this angel in front of him and Balaam on the back sees nothing. He has no clue what's going on. And then the best part is the donkey finally turns around and goes, why are you hitting me? And the guy in Balaam doesn't go like, why are you talking to me? He goes, well, you were turning. And like, this guy is a total, he's a total not, he is not, he's no clue what's going on. It's unbelievable. They, they say the donkey from Shrek had no, uh, they had no biblical 
biblical basis for the donkey. Oh, I don't believe depressing. it. I believe, they're, I believe they're trying to get around what we're talking about today. They don't want mm-hmm. criticism from people. If they said, we made a donkey talk in this movie, then they're going to get all the... All the Bible. Yeah, it's like what the copyright issues you think copyright infringement you can't the, the bible's not copyrighted <laughs> <laughs> they're like wait a minute we wrote that first yeah, by the way the 50-year public domain rule <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah at least yeah. i hope it is Jeez, Louise, that, would, that, would, yeah. that oh was an gosh. argument for a bit because some of the most modern um translations of the bible some of the most modern ones were like in the 80s and even more recent and so people were using them in their books and stuff and the the authors were trying to get credit or get uh what is it called royalties Royalties. from these Mm -hmm. books and stuff like they wrote it but and the trouble is it's not a direct translation like the message is i don't know what they call it the message version is a paraphrase essentially like he just took Mm -hmm. it read it prayed on it and then rewrote it in his own prose and so it really isn't a translation like a lot of it you're like that is horribly off from the original (laughs) language but it does make more sense to modern folk oh yeah no that's that's the hardest thing every i mean we always say every translation is a commentary right has to be um and once you start going back into and dipping back into the original language especially if you try to get into the language of when it was written you're you're we're making it it's not exactly what's written there's no doubt about it um you know did it just reminded me i don't know why but did you hear that there was a story this last week about ed sheeran getting uh sued for using some of like some one of his songs was they're claiming is based on marvin gay one of marvin gay's songs and they're suing for his uh for his doing and and apparently according to somebody I was talking to about this, this stuff always gets thrown out of the court. Like they, they tried to do this with stairway to heaven a couple of months, a couple of years ago, like in 2016, they said that stairway to heaven was based on another song and they made this whole case that they could have heard it and da, 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 and the, the, the judge just threw it out. So why, why is anybody even going to pay attention if you're talking about a Bible translation? <laughs> you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Well, yeah. And it's, um, I mean, who do you, is, is, uh, you know, like they're going to argue over who wrote it. Was it Moses or was it Q? You know, we don't know. Is Q right. going to sue because, uh, and then what's, you know, Moses is going to be like, no, I wrote that part, not you. Right. Was that nice. it? Q? Is that the, is that one of the sources? No, it's what are the sources of, Oh, is it Q and aren't they all letters Q and T? Yes. You're talking about, right. So this is biblical criticism that Orthodox Judaism does not really want to have anything to do with. Ooh, snap. Um, no, it's it's very controversial. It here, it's controversial. It is controversial. Hold on, let me find um, a sound for the controversy. There's got a oh, here we go. <laughs> nice good usage. So the so the controversy is that if you most people want to believe in the in the traditional sect of Judaism that the 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 Torah came straight from God, and that God basically handed it to Moses. Except for I just recently heard this, which I thought was fascinating. I didn't know this that the last book, right, Deuteronomy, was a basically a speech, right? It's Moses's speech. And we say, oh, he might have been pr- doing, he was prophesizing at the time of that speech. But basically, according to some Jewish traditions, at, when Moses finished saying all that long speech, which takes us weeks to read all the way through, had a stenographer writing it down. Well, however it worked, God basically then put God's stamp on it at the end and said, this is now part of the Torah. Right, it wasn't really clear whether or not it was going to be part of the Torah. But that, though, what you're talking about is that there are there was a belief that if you look at different names of God, you can see, and then you sort of take whatever's written and whatever names of God are being used, and you take those verses and sort of split them off. You can actually see um, a storyline going to, like two different storylines that were then redacted together, at least two, if not three or four. Um, that the, the reason it's controversial is because then you're admitting that at least the text was written down by somebody and we don't have it in its in its original form. Most people understand that we don't have it in its original form, but if you say, oh, these were all traditions that didn't directly come from God, maybe they were inspired by God in some way, then Orthodox Judaism is very uncomfortable with that. Um, yeah, that's but yes, one for like self-deprecating and making fun of religion because I. <laughs> It's tough because it was it was a um, I mean even the language 
the, it was stories that were passed down for generations before a lot right. of them were even written. So right. they tell them around a campfire and they'd change. You've been to summer camp. You know how those stories go. <laughs> oh man, I was always scared at those, at those summer camp they ghost stories. Yeah, a little every sure. year and they got bigger and crazier. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it, it, you just got to trust that God got in there, what God needed to get in there, even if it mm -hmm. wasn't a hundred percent factual. Oh, oh, I mean, like really happened. the way that I always want to sort of, you know, help people with that argument is to say to them, you know, if you're telling me that God couldn't get God's message through, through all those stories growing and growing, that might've been God's plan the entire time. Why, why do you feel like that wasn't part of the plan? Like God can do anything. Yes, that, exactly. Know? They're like, it right. either happened supernaturally in the moment and they wrote in English as Moses spoke it in Hebrew. Yep. Yep. Or it happened, you know, a very un, you know, very normal way. There's no like middle ground of like, yeah, God worked through people and a couple of people right. messed up and God used that to make, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked about it yesterday in my sermon. I was like, God always has chosen to use people from the very beginning to complete God's mission. Adam and Eve right. created the whole world and didn't just say, I'm going to take care of everything. He said, I'm going to need people to do this. Mm. So he says, I need people. I need people. I need people. And yet we suddenly go, well, God yeah. used people. Yeah, why would, wait a minute. You think God, of course, God is going to use people in this process. hundred um, percent. The, the reason it gets a little bit sticky for the Orthodox Judaism is because we believe that the Torah, as I said, the text that we have, we believe that it was handed to Moses on Mount Sinai. Like that's, that's how it happened. And so once you are sort of locked into that, you, the whole, you know, growing traditions over time, oral document, which it, it, I mean, I think it's hard. It's hard not to say that it wasn't an oral document for some time, but to say that it was gets more problematic for us. And, you know, I, I think Orthodox Judaism gets stuck with all these sort of like competing uh, how ultimatums. Much, how much papyrus did Moses carry when Mo, when God came to the Torah? <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? Like no one person well, carried so, all that. Because we've got super fine font that's printed on you know, right. printers now. So it fits into a book. But if you think of God's handwriting out this whole thing, it's got to be huge. And God's hands are massive, mind you. Mm. So the pen is got to be friggin' huge. So the paper no, for that sure. God's writing on is like, you know, the size of a wall. And so mm. it's just nearly impossible to believe that Moses carried all this paper like a giant. No, that was, yeah, that's a, that, that, that is definitely a practical issue. Ridiculous. Um, but I'll tell you on top of that, people just um, don't think critically here. They got to think critically <laughs> or just rationally. How about rationally? But the, um, but we do believe that Moses, by the way, just so, just to be clear that Moses wrote it down, the God was dictating and there's actually an amazing spot. So in Moses the was the stenographer. Correct. Correct. Jeez, that's so, even harder. I'd rather carry the papyrus. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where the hard part, I'll tell you where the fast, hardest part was. How fast he had to write and, and all the ink he had to have. He had oh, all yeah. that on hand. Oh, God's yeah. like, Hey, I need you to take a note. Okay, go for it. <laughs> They're in the middle of the desert. Where are they getting I the berries know. to make the ink? You know what I mean? to write like a three three item grocery list, and then he wrote <laughs> the, the longest five books of the Bible. Exactly. Um, well, I'll tell you what's there's the, one of the cool things about um, this whole thing. If if Moses was writing down what God said, is that why he, he left the vowels out? He's like, I'll just can I just skip the vowels? Make it a lot easier skip to keep up. God, no, just, God, you're just, speaking so fast. Yeah, uh, yeah, just let me, at least let me just do the consonants. Can I just do the consonants? People will get the gist. I don't care <laughs> if it means, it could mean cat. It could mean mother-in-law, but it's fine. I'm keeping up with God talking. That's good. No, it's good. So uh, one of the, one of the points where it's, where it's striking is that it says um, at the very end of the Torah that, that this is where Moses went up and died. And the question is, the question that's asked is, did Moses write that? Oh, yeah, did. <laughs> and then friend, the Friends theme song started. So did, did Moses write it? Or uh, was God writing at this point? Like had, had Moses died and God finished the Torah? And God did the part that you're talking about with the huge hands and the big papyrus and, and the big pen? Or did Moses write it? And they said, and the word actually is with his own tears, because now he knew when he was going to die, which is a powerful, a powerful idea. If you ask me. Wait, so Moses, so, Moses so there's a part of the Torah. If you believe, that, like we that, said that, uh, that 
handwriting God's speech. Moses realizes handwriting God's speech is so hard that he knows he's going to die. And yet no, God no. keeps talking. Oh, no, 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 no. God says the words at the end of the Torah. The end of the Torah says, and, and then Moshe went up, Moses went up the mountain and died. And if he's the stenographer, he's writing down. And then Moses went up to the mountain and died. So then Moses knows when he's going to die. So it's this sad moment where you go, was Moses writing that? And Moses had to write down his own death and like, you know, or did God, did Moses already die and God finished the Torah for Moses? That's the debate that goes on. Wait, where was it? I thought Joshua finished it. Didn't Joshua write the last bit of Deuteronomy at least? So that's the question. Who wrote that last bit of Deuteronomy where it says that Moses died? Right. So you're was saying it, somebody wrote it in God's tears? No, Moses's tears. The, the, Moses, the question Moses, Moses died, was crying when God when God dictated to him and said, Moses goes up the mountain and dies. Moses hears that and knows when his own death and how his own death will occur. So he, he starts keeps to cry. Tears in a jar so that Joshua keeps. <laughs> no, I think he just spilled them onto the parchment. What do you the mean? That tears are translucent, so it's almost going to be like invisible ink, which is an even bigger problem. You know what I mean? Like who's going to? They see? they had black lights then. Will you come on? Oh, man. of course they had. God had a black. Light. I forgot about. I forgot about. <laughs> forgot about the Hebrew black light. Of course. Yeah, they so, yes. come on on Saturdays, though, so there's a big gap in those days. Correct. We don't know quite how to finish the Torah on, on Saturdays. It's true. It's See, true. that story alone filled with just challenging. Wait, and then this, the, the first two chapters of Genesis, those weren't Moses. Those weren't in the original, right? Weren't those just... No, no, no. That's, no, no. So what, what is believed is that Moses goes up to the mountain for 40 days, right? And he comes down with the Ten Commandments. But... In, we also believe that when he goes up and gets the Ten Commandments, he gets the whole Torah. So he wrote the Torah from Genesis. Not that it's happening at that time, but he wrote the whole history from Genesis all the way through to the very end of the fifth book, which is the end of Deuteronomy. And that happens if he sat there and wrote that on the 40 days. That's well before he dies. You following? So he, Moses sort of gets this window into how, how and when he's going to die. So that's why it's this emotional moment. Then, the, But then there's this other stream that says, no, Moses didn't do that. He didn't finish the Torah. God finished the Torah. Joshua finished the Torah, right? That's the, that's the other ideas that are there. See, this is a great example of just people picking apart the Bible and then going ahead. Right. That's what I love. So I'm just going to say what I love about all these exegesical, whatever we call that, the, ex, the extra text stories that are called Midrashim. Extra I love testicle. them because... Extra what? Extra testicle. There you go. Perfect. That's, that's the those those stories. If you if you understand how they're what they're supposed to do and how they work, they aren't meant to. They're not meant to make sense, and they're not meant to agree even with each other. So when people start to say like, "No, that's exactly how it happened," then I said, "Well, don't you know there's another story that contradicts that?" Like five seconds later. And they go, uh, like, it's not meant to do that. It's meant to teach you a lesson. That's what the whole Torah is supposed to do. That's what the whole Bible is supposed to do. It's teaching you lessons. It's not meant to be something that you look at and say, this is 100% accurate and makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's it. I, I think that's it. That's like people who hold on too tightly to these things or put their own personal beliefs into the facts, uh, into, into in there as a fact of the Bible and say, that's like, that's how it was written. And if you're mm -hmm. reading, especially if you go back to the original text, you're like, that didn't, doesn't appear specifically in there anywhere, right? Like people exactly. are just saying like, what I believe should be in the Bible. The only other document I've witnessed people doing the same thing is the, the constitution of the United States consistently. Uh -huh. People who haven't read it have these diehard claims <laughs> that you can't challenge of what that means about their inalienable rights to do certain things. And, and you're like, did, did, did you read it? Not really the, in, that's not really in there, nor was it the intent. <laughs> like, and that's the hard part is people are like, well, they should have written it down. I'm like, well, they didn't have automatic weapons when they wrote down. <laughs> and if they did, yeah. They couldn't make up stuff about the internet back when they were writing, <laughs> exactly. when they were writing uh, with ink quill pens. Oh yeah. No, no, for sure. And and my favorite thing to say about the, about the Bible is, is that if so, I always want somebody to take the Bible 
and like somehow just like, you know, change it, put it in like modern day language or whatever. Don't tell anybody what it is and then bring it to a publisher and see if they publish it. It's like the the most, the storyline is like, especially like you go through Genesis and like, there's only one section of Genesis that actually has a, a complete storyline. It's the story of Joseph. Otherwise, it's like the worst written book ever. Like it doesn't, you know, like it's like this huge gaps and like, What's and it's like, and name? some, and there are even sections of it, right? If you go back to it, when you were talking about when Cain and, and Abel, right? When he kills him, it says Cain rose up and nothing. It doesn't oh, really? even finish the sentence. No, it's just this ellipse. And you're like, well, what did he say to him? And like, if you put that into, you brought that to a publisher and you said, and then he said, and you don't write the end of the sentence, they're not going to publish that. I got news for you. How it's a crazy, it's crazy. That... We get off the part about Kane. It's like the part in, in Elf, the movie with Will Ferrell, Elf, yeah. where, where the, uh, his father like sends it to the publisher and he's like, there's no ending and it's missing three pages in the middle. And they're like, I don't care. Kids don't care. They don't need to know those sort of kids things. Care. I love it. It's a kid's book. I forgot just it was a kid's it's book. Like, it's like God's like, just ship it. They'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. That's like, a, no, they, and they, they that's a really good point. What happens and yet it turns out we're incredible idiots. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, this was fun picking up as always everything that people hold very seriously. <laughs> We're ready for the letters. If you need to write them, we'll we'll read them. Okay. People have either stopped listening and gone away, or kept listening and been writing. I have no faith in way. It's all good press. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks. For all right, guys. Everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>